You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Our reading today will be from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. And as you likely could tell from our passage that was read today, what we're talking about from God's word is something that is physically, spiritually, and emotionally unnatural for us to do. And that is Jesus' command to each and every one of us to deny ourselves and to follow him. You know, every week I feel genuinely inadequate and unqualified to preach God's word. And what I mean is that I often feel like I'm the one that needs to learn the most out of every passage we preach, but probably particularly this week because I know how aware I am of my own struggle to hear and to follow Jesus' call and invitation in this area, to deny myself, to pick up my cross, and to follow him. But then I feel a little better when I know that you likely struggle with this as well. There's not a single person hearing these words from Jesus. If anyone seeks to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. That re- hears those words and says, wow, that, that part of my sanctification, I think I've, I've pretty much uh, cleaned up. I excel in that area. And so today, like every week, we, we don't listen to my voice. Uh, we listen to God's voice. We don't listen to my opinions or uh, some great neat things I have to say. We listen to God's word. He desires to speak to us. And so when we listen, we listen to what he has to say. Do you see what Jesus is telling us all in here? Let's put it in perspective. In our passage last week, the preceding passage that we, we saw, Jesus is telling his disciples that he must be a one, the one to suffer, to be rejected, to die, and to rise again. And then immediately it's as if he says, who wants to follow me? Who wants to come after me? I'm, I need to suffer, be rejected, and I will die you want to come? Do you want your life to be identified by those things as well? I don't imagine he would have much of an audience after that. You see, to, to deny oneself and to follow Jesus is the mark of, of every true Christian. There, this is no small invitation. It's the hardest thing we'll ever have to do, and yet it's the greatest call that Jesus invites us into. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? and to follow Jesus. There is a a short conversation I often have with one of my children at home. It goes a little like this. I say, honey, why didn't you do what mommy and daddy asked you to do? This was really important for you to do. Why didn't you do it? And this child just simply responds, because I didn't want to. It's not what I wanted to do. Honey, why did you hit your sister? 
because I wanted to hit my sister. That's what I felt in the moment, and that's what I did because it's what I wanted to do. Do you see, it's that simple. To deny ourselves is to go against the very desires that we have so that we can follow Jesus, obeying his word, and come into the delight of his grace. I've never understood my own heart as much as I do in these conversations with my children. When it comes to the topic of pursuing our own desires of our heart and not laying them down or denying ourselves, there is no greater a theologian in all of the world than, than a child. For they know how to live out of their desires. They know how to live out the things they want to do that overflow from a heart that hasn't been changed. And so to deny oneself, when Jesus tells his followers that if they desire to follow him, they must deny themselves, he doesn't mean that they ought to tweak their behavior here and there, changing little nuances of their actions or thoughts or behaviors. It's not cleaning up your language or behavior the way you would tidy up a garage that has become cluttered with mess. Then what does it mean to truly deny ourselves? What is Jesus calling us into if we seek to follow him? It is this, is to de- denying yourself is saying no to your deepest sense of who you are and what you desire for the sake of Christ and his gospel having complete reign over your life. To take up the cross is to forfeit your claim to yourself, for you recognize that Jesus has purchased you with his blood. He has bought you, and all of your life and everything in it belongs to him. He is worthy of that sacrifice. He is worthy of that life lived out because we belong to him. And so every Christian is really called into a life of costly sacrifice. And I promise that this verse does not fall on any one of our favorite verses. We love the scriptures that talk about God's steadfast love in the midst of our failure. We love the verses that talk about God's faithfulness, that he will never give up on us. But we cringe at verses like this. We try to explain it away of what really does it mean when Jesus says we must deny ourselves. In other places, he says we even must hate our very life if we desire to follow him. You know, when I sit down at any passage on any week and, and start to construct what will eventually become a 30, 35 minute sermon, I look for the main idea in the passage and then I look at the other verses in that passage and see how the passage supports that main idea and then that becomes, uh, those become my, my primary points. But I don't have to do that this week uh, because the sermon has been written for me. Jesus has written the sermon. He has uh, constructed the framework for this sermon. He gives us the main point And then he gives us four concluding arguments for why we should do this thing. What should we do? We should deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Why? Why is it worth it? Why should we do that? What should we fix our our heart on, our thoughts on, in order to come into that understanding of what Jesus desires for us? And so Jesus gives us his outline in four points. 
that we must follow him and take up our cross. And then each point starts each verse with the word for. And so let's look at these four reasons for why we should deny ourselves that Jesus gives. Why we should do the very thing that is the hardest thing for us to do in our whole life. The first thing Jesus says is that being true to yourself will never truly satisfy. Here's what Jesus says in verse 35, for who Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is saying, if you want to be true to yourself, then you will lose your life. It will never truly satisfy. You will never come into your, what you hope for in your life. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel's sake to have its way with you, then you will then come into the great life that I have made for you and created for you. The word life can certainly mean our physical lives, our, our day-to-day uh, functioning of, um, of a life. But the Greek word here is psyche. It's where we get the word psychology. It's much more than our physical, biological life, meaning life or death. It, it has to do with our understanding of who we are, our passions, our desires, our, our very personhood, it, our identity, the reasons for living. We have our life, but then there are the reasons why we are alive that keep us alive. And Jesus is talking about this part of who we are. It's the deepest sense of us being able to say, my life matters. It's important. It's lovable. And God has designed me to take full pleasure in the life that he has given to me. This is the life that Jesus is referring to. And to find these things, the advice of the world is this. If you want to come into the true sense of who you are, your real personhood, to know that you matter, then be true to yourself and everything else will fall in place. Isn't that right? We see that everywhere in movies and in songs and billboards in magazine publications. We see it all over social media. If you want to find life, then just be true to yourself. And this is possibly the most horrible advice that anyone can hear. It sounds good at the time. It makes you feel warm. What is in your heart? What does your heart tell you? Then follow that thing. And I promise as soon as you do follow those desires, for a moment it will feel like it's the right thing. But Jesus tells us the very thing that is the problem is, in fact, our self. The true self that we are, that is full of sin, is it deceitful. Our heart is deceitful. We are tricked by our desires. We are prone to evil and wickedness. We are not prone, in a natural sense, to love God. The Bible tells us that no one naturally seeks after the true life that God has created for us. In fact, we rebel against it. And this statement from Jesus is so counterintuitive. It's the great paradox of the gospel message which tells us that if we are preoccupied with ourselves, what we want, and fulfilling our desires for optimal satisfaction, then we will never find it. And in fact, not only will we will not find it, but everything that we do desire will be taken from us. 
It will be a great tragedy of our life. It will be destruction and only end in pain. But if we deny claim to ourselves in order to be preoccupied with Christ, right? If we deny ourselves for the sake of gaining Christ, then something truly amazing happens. We actually become the real person that God created us to be. We actually become the real person that Jesus died for so that we would become the perfect person in his image, like him, enjoying his relationship that we were created for. But the only way to do that is to understand that often our greatest desires are on the opposite side of Jesus' commands. The most important thing that we can do with our desires is not to express them, but to deny them. And that's hard to do. The way to find life we're always intended to have is not what it seems. We think the way to fulfilling to, to fulfillment is li- in life is through self-indulgence, but it's actually through self-denial. We think following the desi- desires of our heart will lead to true joy, but it's actually through redirecting our desires. We think we can build our life on romance, on work success, or on the approval of others, but if we do that, we will lose the life that God desires for us. We must build our life on the only sure thing that will last and that can give us the life that he has desired for us. And it's Jesus. Only then will we truly find it. And this is difficult for the day-to-day, as I've said just a moment ago, because when we decide to follow Jesus, we will often find ourselves on the opposite side of our natural desires. And we think that if we follow Jesus, he'll give us the desires of our heart. And so that means that every thought or feeling that emanates from our life must be God's desire for us. And we think God wants us to be happy and this would make me happy. How can it be against God? We must be overly skeptical of the things that we want in life. Because it's very probable that the desires that we have flow not from a love and worship of Jesus, but a flow from a heart that is deeply broken and unsatisfied in Jesus. When confronted with the call to follow Jesus, Christians don't have a, a both and choice to make, as if to say we can follow Christ and follow our own view of how our life should go. Followers have an either-or choice when it comes to our life. Either we choose our life and find our identity, personhood, through the effort of pursuing our desires, or we choose Christ. And only then will we find the life he desires for us. So that's, that's the reason, that's the first reason Jesus gives us. He wants us to know that if you're true to yourself, You'll never truly be satisfied. You will lose all the things that you were created to have that make you truly happy. You will lose everything. Because seeking our true self is never enough. It doesn't satisfy us the way we think. And next, Jesus goes on to a pair of reasons in verses 36 to 37. They're similar but different enough to be separated for two different points. And look look first where Jesus says this in verse 36. 
36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So another way to say this is that we deny ourselves because the pleasures of the world are cheap thrills compared to the life with Jesus. We are to intentionally consider the benefits of the world and the outcome of pursuing the desires of our heart, and we are to intentionally weigh the benefits of Christ. And when faced with the temptation or desire that we want to pursue, we have an opportunity to weigh it with what Christ says. We are meant to weigh the two. And Jesus says, if you choose the pleasures of the world and the desires of your heart over Christ, you are entering into a very poor bargain. This is a horrible investment. To invest your desires or your life in the world rather than in Christ, you are settling for cheap, momentary thrills for a lifetime instead of a lifetime of pleasure with Jesus. But more importantly, when we weigh the world and our soul, we are weighing the pleasures of the world and the pleasures of Christ. Christ, who loves us, he gave himself for us. He poured out his unending affection on us and promises to return for you and to usher you into his eternal pleasure and his eternal peace and boundless favor. Why would you want to forfeit that? Why would you weigh Christ on one hand, the only one who has truly pursued you in love, the only one who accepts you for who you truly are in all of your sin and brokenness? Why would you give up the only thing that you truly need for something that is cheap and fleeting? Forfeit your life instead of forfeiting Christ. There is no comparison. His love is what secures us in the Father's affection. His love is of infinite worth. And you could call this spiritual economics. Don't trade Christ for anything. You will always get a bad deal. I wonder, what if, what if you sat down and did this exercise and you wrote down 100 real consequences if you pursue whatever desire you are struggling with, whatever your heart is telling you, whatever is grinding in your heart that is tormenting you day and night, or something, some kind of temptation or sin that you're currently engaged in that you know that God has called you out of, if you could write down a hundred consequences of living a life saturated in that, and then versus a hundred consequences of choosing Jesus, of why Jesus is better than all of those things, I bet you will see that sin is always a poor wager and never worth it. Likewise, he goes on to verse 37 to build on this same point and says, For what can a man give in return for his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? And the same argument is the last reason, but this could mean this. We are to deny 
ourselves because God won't have just a small part of your life. Let me ask you, what part of your life did Jesus die for? Did he die for your finances? Did he die for your marriage? Did he die for your crude language to clean it up a little bit? Did he die for your temper or your parenting? Did he die for your work ethic? Did he die for your worry or your stress? Did he die to make you a peaceful person? Well, of course, yes. He, he died for all of those things, but never in the segments of life that we put them in. God isn't asking us to give him our marriage or our work or our money. He's asking for much more. In fact, he's not asking. He's telling us that he has bought us. That he came to ransom us, to purchase us from sin so that we would belong to him, body and soul. It's appropriate to read this passage and to be convicted of sexual sin or a bad temper or dishonesty, whatever desires are flowing from your heart, and to see that Jesus calls you to deny those things, to put them down to walk away from them, to give up those things for the sake of following him. It's right to see this verse in that way. However, it's broader than that. The claim of Christ on our lives is not confined to the marriage bed or our bank accounts or our tongues, but every square inch of our lives and the origin of every emotion, thought, and behavior. It is true to say, I think God wants me to be more patient. But it's much more than that. He wants your whole mind. He wants your whole thoughts. And so when Jesus asks, for what can a man give in return of his soul, he's making this point, unless you surrender your whole life, you've surrendered none of it. Do you hear that? Unless you surrender your whole life, you've surrendered none of it. He will not take just part of you. In a similar way, author Jen Pollock Michelle from her book, Surprised by Paradox, asks this, is the kingdom of God the small patch of grass we safely cordon off on Sundays for our praying and kneeling, perhaps for our tossing a couple coins in the plate as it's passed? God means to lay exacting claim on our Monday through Saturday lives when Jesus says follow, he doesn't just mean the hours before Sunday lunch. Can you put a price on your soul? That's what Jesus is asking. I don't want a piece of real estate in your life. I purchased the whole thing, the whole person, the whole personhood. Your mind, your body, your soul, your affections, your dreams, your hopes, your fears. And there are pieces of your heart, pieces of your life that you may be withholding from Christ to have full reign in. You belong to him and he loves you. And sometimes the most painful process of denying ourselves is knowing that God will not stop until he has all of us. Jesus moves on, and so should we. 
The final reason Jesus gives for why we should deny ourselves and follow him is because Jesus has given himself fully to you so you don't have to hide from him. Here's what he says in verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And here what Jesus does is he repeats this Old Testament uh, prophetic language here where the prophets accuse God's people of spiritual infidelity, of spiritual adultery, of a hardness of heart, of turning their desires from God into idols. And this is an act of being ashamed of God, of turning from Him. To be ashamed, what does it mean to really be ashamed? We know what it means. We feel it often, probably. We spend much of our life avoiding this feeling of shame. But what's shame really? It's that deep emotional suffering that occurs when someone we care about pulls away from us. To be ashamed is this language of strong movement, of pulling away, of withdrawing relationship or love or affection or delight in a person. And we go to great lengths to avoid these feelings. We don't want to push people away. We don't want them to be pulled away. And so we figure out what they like, what they desire, how to care for them. We, we do whatever we can. We engage in a, a frenzy of activity so that they will like us and, and want to be close to us. But when a person pulls away from us, it's an unbearable feeling. We would almost do anything to avoid shame. To be spiritually unfaithful to God, which is to reject his words and to instead follow our desires, is to alienate ourselves from God. And if we alienate ourselves from God, then we cannot know his glory. To be ashamed of Christ is to ultimately hide our true self from him. It is to take our desires, hiding our desires from him, and putting it in places that could never fulfill what he truly claims to be able to fulfill. Jesus is not talking here about being a faithful witness, is a sense of, don't be ashamed of me, but tell everyone about me, and I won't be ashamed of you. He definitely talks about evangelism and sharing your faith in other places, but here I think he's doing something else. What Jesus is saying is, those who hide their true self from me will never share in my glory. Think about this. Jesus is describing a future day where he returns in the glory of the Father to establish and to set up the everlasting kingdom where he will rule over all of creation in perfect love and rule over it with perfect peace. And we will be there as the objects of his unfailing affection and we will adore him as he adores us but not if we hide ourselves from him. Not if we conceal our true self, our true need from him. You see here, Jesus is both warning us and inviting us. He's warning us that if we hide our true self from him, our sin, our hardness of heart, our sinful desires, and fail to acknowledge his rightful claim on our life, then we will have no part in him and in his glory. But if we bring our true self to him, if we acknowledge our neediness, the ugliness in our hearts, if we admit that, we've denied, that we have never denied ourselves, 
but instead we've indulged in the pleasures of our heart and we come to him asking for grace. He will not hide himself from us, but he will bring us closer than we ever dreamed we could be. You see, if we acknowledge that even though we might know the Bible and we know the verses and we've lived a good life, our hearts may be far from him. It's possible, as he mentions in last week's sermon, that we can love God with our lips but not worship him in our hearts. And that means that we are looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, this is a painful passage to hear and a painful passage to give because it's a passage that not a single person who ever lived has ever willingly given their life in order to follow God, except one. Not a single person has fully denied themselves in all ways in order to honor God, except one, of course, and that's Jesus. And this is the only way it makes it possible for us to deny ourselves, is through the the courage and power of Christ that he makes available to us. See, Jesus willingly suffers. He's rejected. He dies, and he is risen again. He takes up his own cross so that he could give himself utterly to us. Jesus knows the way to glory, and it's not through self-indulgence. He knows the way to happiness, through true soul satisfaction. He knows the way, and it's through the cross. It's through denying oneself and dying to yourself. It's through death. Because Jesus did what you and I have never been able to do, he would make us into the people that we only dreamed of becoming. People without any need to ever be ashamed. Because we are filled with the fullness of God and nothing can take that away. Jesus did all of this so that his love for us, not the shame in our failures, would be the driving ambition in our life, in all that we do. You see, we need someone willing to deny themselves fully and to fulfill our requirements and to pay our penalty of sin by denying themselves. And that person is Jesus. Without the cross, there's no good news. Without the cross, there's no salvation. There's no rescue. There's no forgiveness. There's no ceasing from our striving to pretend or to perform before God. There's no ever any rescue from feeling ashamed. There is no rest from the tireless torment of sinful desires in our heart. And Jesus doesn't just tell us the way to glory. He doesn't just say, you know, what you guys really need to do is you need to, you need to follow me better. You need to follow stronger. You need to deny yourself more and gratify yourself less. He doesn't just do that. He shows us how to deny himself. He picks up his cross. You see, without breaking the body of Christ, there's no hope for our broken hearts in this broken world. Jesus' own suffering, his own death, his own Denying of himself and his rising from the grave proved that the way to find the life that you and I want is not through holding on to it. It's not through striving for it. It's not through holding on tightly to the approval of others or the affection of others, but it's laying it down for the sake of knowing Christ. Are you struggling with this command today? I get it. 
I want to put these four reasons up again for you to look at. And I want to ask you, what would it look like to preach these reasons to yourself today? Would you preach these things to your heart today? That being true to yourself will never truly satisfy? That the pleasures of the world are cheap thrills compared to life with Jesus? That God won't have just a small part of your life? That Jesus has given himself fully to you so you don't have to hide from him? What lie do you need to turn from today? What lie are you believing? What pleasure are you fulfilling, hoping it will give you the life you've always wanted? To feel significant, important, and loved. What truth do you need to turn to? What do you need to believe today that will, that will shut down the lies of Satan? That will stop your mind from thinking that the way to feeling important is through others liking you or loving you? What step do you need to take today to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? So don't hide your true self. Admit it to Jesus. He died for you. Ask him for his mercy and his restoration, his grace. And he won't deny that from you. He will give it to you. Invite people into your life who love you to keep you from saying yes to your desires, but will help you say no so that you can say yes to Christ. I'll close with this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him everything else thrown in. Friends, look to Christ. Christ.